Welcome to Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where we give you access to all the strategies, tools, and tactics to become a successful property investor. Charlie, I'm curious. If something breaks in your house and Bianca says that she's repaired it, do you go and double check? Absolutely. I've got trust issues. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so just saying, uh, I think the newsletter page is broken. You can go over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter and you can just go check it out. See if it's broken for me. It, anyone can right go now. check it out. I'm going I'm to check it right now. Just I check it absolutely right. check Whilst it right you're now. There, Whilst you're there, push the button and put in your name and email and subscribe to the newsletter, Charlie, because we notify you every single time we release one of these episodes and it would add value to your life. And by the way, thank you very much for double checking the page is working. Just I can confirm things have been fixed. <laughs> it was never broken in the first place. Let's cue the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. All right, Grant. Here we are again, another round of listener questions. Again, a massive thank you to everyone who does tune in the show and does submit questions. If you would like to have your questions answered on the show, please note you can. Number one, email me at charlie at propertyinvesting.com. You can put a question in the Facebook group and we will pull it from there. Or number three, if you're on the email list, just reply to one of the emails. We'll be sure Simple. to put it in. Couldn't right, make now, this easier, Charlie. This is going to be a fun question. I like this one. I'm also going to – this is one of those moments where someone's asked a question and then I've altered the question because I like the answer I give when this question's asked this way. Although I'm not I'm sure so you should do that. Communicated. I'm like, <laughs> so glad we communicated before this happens. Like, this is great. <laughs> All right. Well, someone's tuned into the show and they are clearly someone who wants to get started in property investing. They're someone yep. that hasn't crossed that bridge yet and they've put in a really good question about, well, what do I need to actually do or have in place so that I can start this journey? And I think that is a fantastic question, by the way. I do. Um, however, I wanted to put a spin on this in talking about, well, what did we actually do? So I when get, you look back to it, yeah. all right, add in the sub-question, I want to know. No, no. No, no. I'm going to ask it midway through. I'm going to keep you on right. those. Keep, yeah. keep, keep it interesting. I don't want the listeners to get bored, so I'm, I'm, no, totally. I'm all for I'll it. So, Grant, I'll kick this one over for you. What did you actually put in place or even have in place to get started with property investing? And then sub-question, you know, looking back retrospectively, is there anything you would kind of change or add in that might be helpful to someone that's looking to get started or maybe is in that earlier phase and trying to make sure they've got the right things in place? All right. So the story of when I got into property investing. So long, long story short is, dude, when I – so after I finished high school, I actually built a mortgage calculator. And so I was like deep into property, like back, back, back in the day. I just never bought anything. And then I wanted to buy something, didn't buy again. And so by the time I actually was ready to buy something, which was- Wait, wait, wait. How old were you when you did the property calculator? 18. Dude, I okay, was 18. How old were you when you bought your first investment property? Like 30 something. <laughs> Is that 12 years of being Dude, it was, like one of those was, people? So this was the thing, right? And so I-, I Hence why I brought it up because it, it to this day, like my parents were like, you told, you were always going to get into property. Dude, my my very first business ever 
was a real estate forum online that I built when I was in uni. And like, did I interview like Chris Gray and everything? Like, it, dude, this thing was like killer. It was called realtyforum.com.au. Like, it was like this killer thing. And I just, so I, 18, built the calculator, like 20 something, built a business around it. And then I went and looked at buying a place near my parents' house like five years later. I never did it. And so it was like five, five until I was 30. And I always knew the value of it. I just never did it. And just, so I was like, well, what changed? Really interesting. I wonder if this what? is true for a lot of investors. So my parents, um, I mean, my dad was a builder and worked in the building industry and so did my mom. And we were always doing like renovations or building new houses and things. So like wired into me from 16, I always was of the view, I really wanted to be a renovator. That was actually what I wanted to do. Being a plumber was just to facilitate one of the skills that went into renovating was like the antithesis of that. So I wonder for how many people like the property thing is seated in like for yourself at 18, for myself much younger on, and then it becomes an eventuator. Although I will say I did buy a property at uh, 22, right? You know, that's, the only way to that's the difference years. between you and I. <laughs> I went and did business and I was like, ran away. So anyway, I it got to, so I got to a, a point where and it was divine intervention. So I got to a point. So I invested. I was being very fortunate. Had a couple businesses. Invested in some businesses. And I was, like the wife ended up looking at me and saying, like, when are we going to stop mucking around with business? And actually, care about the family's net wealth, Charlie, not grants, play games. And that was that. That, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And that's what got me basically started into it, which was like, what's going to be the best asset for us as a family to invest in outside of like businesses? And so very interesting. Wait, wait like, I have happened? to pause you right there. So you know how I mentioned at 22, I, we, I bought a property. Or I should yep. say we in this case because Bianca was absolutely involved in that. Same moment. It's like, how are you going to look after this girl? Like you've Isn't got to provide for her. And it was the I need to provide for my, in this case, partner was the thing that really kicked the motivation in. Like there was a motivation point. Isn't that amazing? I wonder how many people right, have right. that inflation. 20. 20. <laughs> 20. Let, that's it. Let's go get matching shirts. <laughs> so I wonder how many people like that That moment, that inflection point happened where there's like I need to fundamentally change. I, I actually, it'd be interesting to go to like the fire community, the financial independence retire early and to see how many of them came, like made the decision of going to fire because of some kind of pain. Like he's like, oh, this no, there's, a, there's a why, right? It's like yeah. we've spoken about inflection points on our other podcast, Business and Investing, but shout out if you are enjoying this show and uh, potentially want to hear us ramble more, check out Business and Investing, I will say. Um, anyway, coming back to that point there, we've, we've discussed the idea of like when people have these like threshold moments, when things happen like your moment with Hazel or my moment with thinking about providing for Bianca. It's like that why becomes so big that it inspires action. And I think this is the difference between someone who sits there researching property and probably has RP data and looking at all these things but doesn't do anything or that person who's continually thinking about losing weight or whatever it is but they never take the action. They never like, There's never that crossover where it's like I have to make the change. Well, and this is where it, it becomes so fascinating for me because it was 12 years. Man, I was consuming real estate data, I was consuming property information. Like my old man still reminds me to this day every week, I think it was the Fin Review or something came, had like a real estate section in the newspaper and I always make him buy it and give me the real estate section. But for some Amazing. reason I just didn't do, it didn't do anything until my, my now wife is just like, hey, mofo, like what are you doing? 
<laughs> like, Hazel, oh, so much respect. God. So much respect <laughs> right now. And so, and it was actually, it was triggered by me asking her a question of like, hey, should we invest in another business? And like transparently, we had like six figures in a bank account. And I said, there's this business opportunity. Let's go buy some equity and give them a, a short-term loan. And we'll do that thing, which prompted her to ask the question of like, hey, like, is this like what our family should be doing right now? Uh, to which I said, it's a very thought-provoking question that I have never thought about and shall start thinking about, um, which then led me to like, what, uh, what are going to be the greatest asset types? One, which I knew already was property, uh, looked at some others. And that was the thing that then led me into going, great, what is going to be the best opportunity? Oop. All right, pause right there. You mentioned the idea of having six figures in a bank account, which is like yep. capital requirements. Totally. Do you think that is required to play the game of property? I 100% do because property is a large asset and in order for you to purchase a large asset, even with debt, you should have an amount in a bank account. Would, and I'm very- Would you be willing to go on the record and saying if you don't have more than 100 grand in a bank account, you shouldn't play property? It's actually funny because that was going to be my question that I was going to ask to you later because I was going to ask you the question of like, what is the threshold? It's like, what is the minimum? And so, yeah, so we had, I think it was, I think it was like 120, 140 or something like that in a bank account. Um, and then I, and I still remember. So I'm like, cool, I'm going to go do this thing. I spoke to a whole bit of people around like, well, what buys agents do they use? We even spoke about like potentially buying it ourselves. So just go, we'll just go find something. buy. Thank gosh, we never did that. And that's when we, spoke to uh, yourself and some others and just went and met up with like Goose and Gabby from Dashdot and did it's kind of the the trigger to the rest of the conversation. And during that uh, course of that journey, we were constantly talking about like what are the things that we need to have as a family to make us happy? And one of the big parts that we had was we need to put 20% deposit down because we've got business. Yeah, clar- clarify happiness there. Clar- it's the idea of what do we need to be comfortable to be investing in property, right? What are the requirements Completely. there? And ha- happiness, it might we cover differently because we both know <laughs> yes. if it was about happiness, it would be about buying more Apple products. <laughs> you know me too well. Oh, shit. Uh, yes. And so it was like, cool, well, we're going to need an emergency fund for sleep at night factor, I'll call it. Um, so it was great. Sleep, emergency fund, what do we need to have? At least a year worth of living, happy days, good. So check. We could do that and cut it. Okay. Two, we've, got, we've got two here. So Grant, Grant's uh, checklist. So Two years of living expenses set aside as an emergency fund? Yeah, at that point it was it? one, but yeah, now it's a okay. longer. And then at least 100 grand ready to go for a deposit for a property. Or would you be happy to say a 20% deposit? It might be less than 100 grand if, if that's Total, a problem. Twenty, And that was exactly where it was, was a 20% deposit. And so then we looked at it and we said, and by the way, the third checklist is have like some why, like some kind of like epiphany moment <laughs> to get in. Get your wife so to like, crush like, you. Gotcha. Literally, totally. Um, and so then we, we got to this point of, we said, and then we said, well, we can't do it ourselves. We just don't know enough about everything. We consumed podcasts, everything did the usual stuff that people do. Uh, let's go and talk to a buyer's agent, which we did. And then kind of the rest is history. One of the caveats that I will say to that is we spoke to the buyer's agent and said explicitly, Hey, we've never done this before. We kind of want to dip our toe in the water. What is the smallest amount that we could potentially spend on a property that would be the representation of us dipping the toe in the water to see if it's right for us, to see if it's not right for us and sort of see where it lands. As we actually managed expectations to go, well, how do we just not risk a huge amount? And so the place that we bought was like, I don't know, $250,000, $300,000. 
as which meant that the amount that we needed to put in buyer's agent fees, stamp duty, and closing was less than a hundred thousand dollars. See, I don't mind that though, because you might get into property and go, do you know what? This isn't for me. I could understand why that is for some people. It definitely isn't for everyone. It's it's like skiing, right? It's not for everyone. You might go to the snow and go, do you know what? I don't like the cold. Which ties me, well, by I, the way. I'm not doing and that. Shit. I wouldn't and I wanted it, I wanted it to be at a point where and it was funny, when we walked in there, we had like a, a an okay belief system. I would say it wasn't a great belief system of just going like what happens if this thing went like tits up? I was like, what happens if like if this thing was vacant for six months? What would we do? How would we approach it? Wait, 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 wait. How funny that the vacancy. I had the vacancy thing as well. And it's like vacancies <laughs> have just gone through the floor since then, which, I mean, no, isn't going to be the case. It, there are times in history where vacancies have gone higher, totally. obviously, but it's just the irony of that being a fear and what has eventuated has been very funny. Well, and that, but that was a thing. And so, like, it all came from, like, just look at where we started. Emergency Can I put fund. one more in? Emergency fund of extra. Yeah, go on. Did you have like FOMO on the idea of like, why didn't I buy 10 years ago? Yes. <laughs> Did I, it got to a point where I'd like find statistics. And I'm like, let's not send that to Hazel. Because <laughs> I'm like, she'd be like, why were you playing business 10 years ago? I just not deal with this stuff. And I'm like, ah. But you, what's really common here, and I find very interesting that you had the same thing, or not, although not really, we tend to twin, twinning quite a lot here. Yeah, but, um, well, <clears throat> The point I'll make is like when you when I first got into property, it's amazing how poor my mindset was and the ne- negativity that when you haven't done it before, just how susceptible you are to the ideas of like, well, do you know what? I'm only going to buy a property for 250 grand because if it does go bad, at least I'll be able to pay that debt off. I wouldn't want millions in debt. And then after like, the first one, you're like, buy all the properties. <laughs> it's like an offer on, like it's like a light switch. I'll put it this way. I'm practically walking around with a two by four, just like leveraging things. <laughs> just, just, just walking around the street. I've got some good leverage here as well, just because of like how quickly I went from like no leverage. I'm scared of debt to basically just wanting to use leverage everywhere at all times. <laughs> Start every conversation with the amount of debt you've got, your LVRs and your borrowing capacity. I'll put it this like, way: I ate, my, I ate my dinner with like uh, salad spoons, just because they were longer, and I just really cranked that out <laughs> of the bowl. Little hinge, just better <laughs> leverage. It's outrageous. Uh, yeah, and so we went <laughs> – bring us back. So, yeah, we went smaller place, test the water, uh, but it also meant that we had a larger buffer and it meant that we also had cash because I factored in this thing as like an expense. I'm like, great, we're going to have to pay for our food, our rent, our everything, and this mortgage and utilities and all these things. If this thing's empty, oh, okay, what does that look like for an emergency fund? Like I went full, like how do you just – skimp buy on this thing and that was basically how we got started and where we're at so it was call it just call it just over 100 grand and then 20 percent deposits etc as a bit of a summary do you think in this circumstance here like we're business owners um we're not necessarily employed with certainty of income right where it's like maybe if you're an accountant for the government i'm just trying to think of something boring and certain and maybe someone's out there who's an accountant for the government like it's jealous the most uncertain career ever maybe dude their job security is amazing a laugh of it, is it? Like we're making a big <laughs> assumption. Uh, but anyway, the, actually I wouldn't laugh. That's terrific. I hope they have stable income. But the point I'll make here is that I think when you do have, as a business owner, more volatile income, that definitely factors in when you start the investing journey. It factors in a risk huge profile. wage. Risk yeah. profile is massively different. 
hugely different. So that is going to be a factor in how you play the game of property. And I would even say, I know some of our audience isn't necessarily business owners, but it's like I do recognize a lot of the similar patterns that came out when we first got into business. Like mm. I look at some of the things I was thinking about when it's like, oh, it's so risky going from a job to being a business owner. And then it's like I'm a business owner and eventually that, you know, changes over time. And then I felt the same way about investing in property. So I think it's pretty natural to have some of these things. And you you mentioned something there, which I just think is really, really fascinating to the idea of like starting small to build that comfortability before doing bigger things. I do think that's a great idea. You know, let's not get too deep in the water before we're ready, because that could be the very thing that has you come undone. And so I actually like that as a point. I think it's a really powerful one. All right. So Out of all my points, that was the only one. <laughs> you bring in some interesting ideas that I hadn't necessarily considered in in my approach and view to this one here. So I'm going to jump in on the other side Go. of these. I, I actually Unpack agree yours. with Yeah. Everything you've said, I agree with to a degree from here of like, you know, good emergency fund before you do it, I think is a really, really powerful thing. I also think that leaving a 20% deposit, again, really powerful thing. If you're getting into the market, um, you just don't know on timing what is the peak or not the peak and what's going to happen with rates. If you get in over leveraged early, you could dig yourself a hole. But I absolutely do. Um, I think the component around this that I'm going to throw to the other side, apart from, of course, getting your wife to crush you so you're really motivated. It's like the greatest hack ever. Well, this is the education and team size of it or side of it. Right, so one of the things that really helped me become more comfortable with becoming a property investor is actually hanging around more property investors. Like I remember, uh, and I may have told this story on this podcast, I can't actually remember, um, is that I would, when I had my first uh, property, so I had one, I had one investment property and like I was bitching and moaning about a, um, some doors that had to be fixed and I was at a property event and the guy I was bitching and moaning about, who was listening graciously, I'm going to add in here, had like 40 properties. Right, so he's hearing me, this newbie with one property. Keep telling me about your doors, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, and I'm telling you about these doors. And he's, and then eventually I'm like, I just can only imagine what was running through his mind of like, well, that's cute. It's like, he, he do you see what I mean? Me, but he, yeah, so he, but on the other side of things, being in that environment completely normalized some of these things for me. Mm. And I would look at it and go, if you're someone who isn't a property investor today or you're early on in that journey still, and if you've got a couple of properties uh, still and even more, it still applies. If you start hanging around people that have got 10 plus and that becomes the norm, you're going to start feeling a lot more comfortable around the ideas of what goes into being a property investor, not to mention being able to learn from these guys. Mm. Because what can be very challenging is that, you know, you're not an investor in this example and you're sitting there and you, something comes up and you don't know, quite know how to handle it, well, if you can talk to someone and say, like, oh, look, man, this door, it's not working. Yes, of course, doors get screwed on every property, right? Just get a new door. It's the cost of doing business. It's a tax deduction. Yeah. Go, oh, well, suddenly I'm comfortable where it's like if you don't have that in your environment when you're a newer property investor, all the uncertainty and everything I think just drives up fear and scarcity and a whole bunch of things which would be much easier to cross with the right people around you. So these are other investors, these are buyers agents, mortgage brokers. Like how's your relationship with debt changed since knowing Aaron, our mortgage broker? So my first one was actually not bought with Aaron as the mortgage broker. And dude, like I was still frustrated months after I purchased that thing, after I realized all of the second order consequences that happened with me and my <laughs> fixed rate 
interest only mortgage and how I couldn't like refinance, get out and do all these things, uh, which is going okay now with the interest rate increases. But at the time, I didn't know interest rates going to increase. And then when I sp- started speaking with Aaron, I'm like, there's a completely different game here. And I was like, this guy just, the guy I was using just has no idea. He was a tick and flick, get the thing done. And then when I had the right team around me, like Aaron, the mortgage broker, there were just so many things that I didn't know at the time that I should have known that then I applied that into future properties. Going further at the education piece, um, for myself, like I'd read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm sure you have too, right? I'll put out Many some times. of the basics from here. Are there any other pieces of education you feel are really important for someone earlier on that would make a difference in them being set up to this, right? And I, I just use the analogy here. If you're, if you're um, going to be a surgeon, right, getting the education before you do surgery, really imperative. I would say that type of thing applies to property as well. So it's not a trial and error game, right? You want to not definitely job. do some skill work before. Yes. Yeah, surgery is amazing. Um, I, think, I think one of the thing, one of the education, and I don't know if we might have spoken about it here on the podcast before, was a book by a guy called George Antone, which was uh, The Debt Millionaire. Essential title. It's a horrific title and it's a trash title. And if I could retitle it, I would, but I can't. So I think that that is a great book for understanding like the fundamentals around what happens with property um, and some of the calculations that he puts in and some of the scenarios he runs through. I think I think he's almost like a, a mandatory. I also think that to your point, I'm going to pull in your thread around like the team around you. I think having a list of questions to ask them. So it's almost like doing an audit of your own brain of going, what am I concerned about? What am I worried about? What are the things that I don't know how to solve? And leaning on them to ask them or a friend who's done the thing that you're trying to do, like buy multiple properties, and just ask them. They're there to help. Like they're, they're actually there to guide you on it. Um, and then the final one I'd probably say is just keep your finger on the pulse in regards to like what's going on, what are people saying about stuff. So like podcasts like this, Property Investing, um, and even other podcasts kicking around. I think just if you listen to them, uh, it's going to give you a bit of a bit of a guiding principle, noting that not all of them will give you the advice and insights and stuff that you need because they shouldn't be providing advice. But I'm like, I think that some of them just have two risk on strategies and you need your own guiding principles on that. How do you feel about property mentors? Like I've seen this pop up more recently in the last couple of years where people are actually offering like mentoring services to help you on your property investing journey. Um, I don't know where that sits on the financial advice scale and what they can and cannot say and how helpful or not helpful they can be. But I do see value in mentors in general. And I would say that for you and I, we didn't get mentors necessarily in that capacity, but we had great guides. So, for example, like Goose from Dashdot, he kind of acted as a bit of a mentor to us and helped guide us through this system to a degree. You'd have to say that there was totally. a bit of like mentorship in that. How do you feel about that for someone who's getting started? I think especially if you're trying to level up from nothing to something where you're trying to build up your confidence and get to a point where you know enough to make a decision because you can remember like I had 12 years where I just didn't know enough to make a decision like and that was just on me for not getting the right information not getting the actual guidance and not being deliberate on it like if you're so deliberate that you're willing to pay for a mentor or an advisor I think it's a great thing because you're just going to learn and you're going to accelerate the rate of your um, understanding of what you're going to get into the one thing I will say though is I have spoken to a few people and I, I shared this to you a couple of months ago who did the thing and then got pushed into that house and land packages and then like has been unpicking it. So it's like 
I, yeah, I say you, that. You can't throw that in because there's there's good and bad at everything, right? But it's like there's good mentors so, and bad mentors. Due diligence is a key. And that was going to be my point. Like I'm, I'm mentioned that only for a caution to the wind because I think majority of them are great. I just think that there are a couple that ruin it. And so uh, I'm just putting that as a caveat to say, just be cautious around like the advice and be objective to your own self. Like don't just willy-nilly take someone else's thoughts and insights and apply that yourself. Be a smart person and take it on, absorb the information and disseminate it yourself before you go and make your own decision on it. Can I tell a story around this one? All right. Well, I'm going to. It's my podcast. I was going to say, I'm like, I got, uh, ain't no one here who's going to stop you. All right. So I actually at a point was considering uh, going into development, like pretty full on. I'd um, seen some pretty wild results. And again, just fantasizing in the idea that I wanted to basically renovate or do property for my use. It's in me. I'm going to cross it at some point, Grant. I just don't know when. And you wanted to utilize the plumbing skills? Well, I would say the knowledge, not the skills. I have no plans to get back on the tools at all. <laughs> anyway, so I'm considering being a property investor. And you've got to remember this is a big, oh, sorry, property developer at this point. And you've got to remember that I've got no skills. I have property investor skills and knowledge. I don't have developer skills and knowledge past what I picked up as building skills during my apprenticeship, to your point. Don't. I actually did three courses. So Ooh. I... Yeah, so I and I started listening to a property developer podcast, actually a couple of them, and attended a couple of trainings. And after doing all of that, like I invested substantial hours in this to see what it could look, feel, sound, touch, taste like. And at the end of it, decided against it. One day we're going to have to pick apart why. But to that point, is it because you uh, applied the education that you got across your personal situation and then said, no, this is not right? Yeah, do I, I can give you the short answer of why I didn't go ahead on that. So can you make money as a property developer? Absolutely. I actually think it's potentially the most lucrative area of property. I also think that it comes with the highest degree of uh, risk and you also need an incredible amount of skill. And when I looked at that and what I was doing in business, I just didn't have the time available to me to be able to execute that. It's a much more active strategy in a lot of cases. Yeah, um, Not all universally, but for what I was looking at doing. So based on that, I kind of like said no to it. And I think you can apply this thinking to property investing in general, right? So if you've got, uh, bringing this into the next point now around time requirements, if you actually have no time and aren't willing to put in some hours to being a property investor, so whether it's dealing with repairs, refinancing, going through the acquisitions, all the things in there, property investing just might not be for you. So to get a bit of a taste and glimpse of that beforehand, whether it's through mentors, other investors, courses, whatever it is, I think it's another appropriate thing to throw into this conversation. I really do. There is, it's not completely passive. It isn't. There has been, I've, I've been through three property courses and they have been eye-opening. Like I think that they are valuable just because it, it walks you through <clears throat> ideas and concepts that you might not have ever thought about because you're just blindsided. You just don't know what you don't know. Completely. Can I even say further? People are going to go, well, which courses should I do? I'm going to say, do at least three of them. And they're going to be different and you're going to learn so much through the differentials. I think it's really powerful. Agreed. Agreed. Um, There's a couple of books. I I really like the the Property Couch guys and the Property Ah. Couch podcast I think is great for beginners. I was, when I was learning it. book, book with the scenarios, it's good. Yeah. 
really good one to throw into the mix as well. But I'll bring this back to a point um, here and then we'll round it out because I think it is a really um, important episode. So number one, we've got capital requirements. Emergency fund plus having 20% deposits when you're starting out I think is sage. Of course, not financial advice. Please make sure you look after yourself, all those types of things. We're just two idiots on a podcast. Amen. Second one, get your wife to crush you so you're really motivated. Or your husband <laughs> or anyone, friend that cares. Any partner, have a moment. Develop a wife. <laughs> just, have, just have a moment. Maybe this is right, the moment, and then, Is this the moment? Maybe this is the moment. I don't know. Maybe. I'd love to start where you're comfortable. Stuff. So to, to your point of the earlier one, I like this, is like you don't need to do a million-dollar-plus investment for your first one. You can potentially start small and try it on a little bit, which I think is is cool. Education-wise, we kind of covered education broadly here from like, you know, podcasts, um, courses, Books, YouTube courses. channels as well. But I would concur that you want to get into those and have a good look around and surround yourself with other investors to be there. Um, is there any other points you would want to add on this one? Yeah, I think the I think the final point is just understand your personal situation. Just remember that it, uh, even though we're saying twenty percent deposits, like you're still going to have to pay stamp duties. You're still going to have to buy pay buyers agents fees. Uh, you're going to have to fix a door, <laughs> or every property's had a problem with a door. What is it with the doors? I got no. I feel like someone just puts a foot through a door just when they leave or something. I just, I just don't know. They there just must be this door graveyard of all these. Stop slamming the damn doors! I just every property got a door problem. Um, but so factor in all of them, right, before you step in, which is why the emergency fund is so valuable is because you do a calculation and then something will just cost a bit more. Something will just take a little bit longer than you anticipated, which means that you've just got more to spend. Like you might do a minor tweak or a renovation to the place to make it ready for rent and that's a month of no income that you're just going to have to pay the mortgage on, right? So like just make sure that you've got those buffers. Like it's not a... For for me anyway, I just don't look at that as a non-negotiable. Uh, but then just walk in there with eyes wide open. It's a fun journey. Like I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I genuinely love buying it. Like I just go, just enjoy the ride. Don't kill yourself as you go through it. Like just enjoy it. Take it for what it is. It's just a fun experience. I'm going to throw in something else because I just thought of it now and I do think this is an important one. And I know I you had this challenge as well. This is a retrospective thing that I think can help beginners uh, substantially or people that are earlier on the journey. When you first get into property investing, one of the things you're going to be overwhelmed with is the conflicting strategies. You're going to have people that tell you, look, positive cash flow is the way. No, no, growth's the way. Only buy blue chip. Yeah, no, that's a waste of time. Like you're going to find all these camps and tribes very quickly and they all, as a marketing method, shit on each other. Uh, That's what they actually do. Um, and what you'll find, um, it's really interesting. If I was to compare this to another world, this is like the fitness world where it's like keto versus people who do carnivore or are vegans. Like they're like diets almost. Right? Yep. Now, what's really interesting is that when you dig deeply into the, and this is purely in the property investing world, I found people that have been successful in all the different, I know successful developers. I know people that have been successful just doing blue chip. I know a guy that's made absolute bank in apartments, yep. right, which is something that often gets poo-pooed. I know people that have done well regionally and I don't know people that have done well interstate or just doing local stuff. And I think one of the hardest things to conceptualise when you're early on in the journey is working out what's right or wrong. And eventually for myself, and I can only speak here, is you start to realise very quickly, just like with diets, wait, there's 
people out there that are actually pretty healthy on keto. So wait, there's, there's someone out there who's a vegan who's healthy, right? And you will quickly learn that you're going to have to pick your diet. Yep. You're going to have to pick there's, a camp and go with it. Yeah. There's was there's people winning gold medal, medals at the Olympics who are vegan, carnivores, pescatarians, like everything like that. It's just a – it's not – the diet does not determine the outcome. <laughs> it is just a component. But you know what can ruin it is when you try and do all the strategies because you would want to pick a strategy that's right for you in your circumstance and then go deep. That's yeah. where the rewards are. That's where I've personally seen success and I know that's where you've seen success as well. Let's wrap this one up. All right, let's do it. If you're sitting there going, holy smokes, that was an awesome question. I would love to hear your question as well. Not just yours, Charlie, everybody else's too. Uh, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your name and email and just hit respond to any of those emails and we'll bring it in and actually answer it on one of these podcasts. I just want to say thank you to you, Charlie. And thank you to you for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of Property and Investing.